Welcome to the Love Reimagined Podcast. If you're tired of hearing about a God who is supposedly represented perfectly through Jesus, but is less kind than you, your grandma, and even Hitler, this podcast is for you. We welcome you to join Joe Chadburn, that's me, and friends as we reimagine Father through the perfect lens of Christ. Now, we occasionally tip a few sacred cows, but be assured that no members of the bovine species were harmed during the recording of this episode you are about to enjoy. Hey, Joe, it's good to have you. Hey, John, it's great to be with you, brother. Yeah, so we've got some exciting topics today as we're covering eschatology, soterology, and, you know, heaven and hell obviously fits in with those things. Yeah. Kind, yeah. kind of exciting stuff, yeah. It is. It definitely makes for an exciting interview. Yeah. Um, so before we get into the questions, uh, just tell me a little bit about, you know, your spiritual journey and maybe a little bit about your theological background where you're at now. Okay. Spiritual journey is kind of wild. Um, I was kind of born and raised in a Roman Catholic environment uh, until both my parents died. And I was, uh, they both died before I was 13 years old. My father tried to set a world record crossing the Atlantic Ocean in the smallest uh, sailboat ever. Um, didn't make it. Uh, I received hell in uh, elementary school uh, and middle school, high school. We were all over the, the news. I mean, the national news. People Magazine, yeah, Nightly News, NBC, ABC, CBS. There wasn't much else uh, <laughs> at that time. Um, there was no cable or anything like that. And uh, so, and my mother died. Um, my dad was proclaimed dead when I was around nine. And uh, my mom died when I was 12. Uh, that being about just about three months before I told her I wish she was dead. Um, and I was raised as a Roman Catholic, and just the way that I was brought up was anything that I would do as a little boy, I was told um, by my grandmother, who didn't know any better, but that Jesus, and there's a picture of him with the blue eyes and the heart and everything else and the fishbowl around his head at the end of the hall, he was putting a black mark on my soul. So I felt just horrible. I knew God hated me. I just felt like God hated me. Um, God killed my parents, and, and it was partially my fault, especially in my mom's case. Um, and so throughout the bullying I received and everything else through my teen years, and uh, just just long story short, it was miserable. I, we did go, my brother and I lived with a wonderful family, but, uh, but I was still dysfunctional in my head and so messed up. And they were American Baptists, so we attended their church and the Catholic church, you know, back and forth a little bit. Um, and I joined the Marine Corps, uh, watched too many Rambo movies, and went to a, a, a recruiter uh, to get out of class. So I went to this assembly, ended up joining the Marine Corps. And um, yeah, it, it, was just, it was just really strange. And I was suicidal. I was in the Persian Gulf having issues and uh, felt like I needed a shrink, and they sent me to a chaplain. He handed me a Bible. He told me some dirty jokes, told me I was okay. I knew I wasn't, and so I was in the middle of the, the tanker wars in 1987 in the Persian Gulf, and uh, I, was, I was scared. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. It was October of 87, and uh, I was crying, and I was just ready to jump off ship or find some way to kill myself, and um, I, had, I said to the Lord, if you're real, prove it. If not, I'm done. And I was listening to Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne. I was crying. And I just all of a sudden just took off my headphones. And I heard a Bible study going on across the way. Didn't know what it was. I just heard some noise. 
And then I started hearing certain things. And I had no idea that was going on while I was just laying in the rack across the way. And it was some recon guys, some radio recon guys that I was there with. And I went over there and uh, they were having a Bible study. And I just went over there and sat down, started voicing my skepticism. They just told me how much Jesus loved me. And uh, yeah, and I just felt like it, it was it was as if I couldn't move, almost as if um, and I have no theolo theology to back this up, but it felt like I was just stuck to the seat. And the Holy Spirit ministered to me, and I just sensed a uh, just sensed His love, and uh, you know, and embraced Him back uh, at that moment. And really, haven't been the same, but it's been a journey, you know. And uh, the gentleman that that uh, led me to uh, you know this experience with Jesus, the guy that was heading up that particular Bible study was a, uh, a traditional Pentecostal guy. So of course I went to a traditional Pentecostal church, went to a traditional Pentecostal Bible college, um, ended up, yeah, just going through various, I pastored, I pastored churches, uh, traveled uh, in itinerant ministry, done missions work, um, been, uh, yeah, have friends all over Africa, just really cool things um, have happened in my life. And I've, I've ministered across the denominational gamut, uh, the, the cultural gamut, I was uh, uh, one of the elders, one of the teaching elders in a predominantly African-American church for uh, a decade, um, and just some really cool <laughs> cool stuff like that. Uh, there's a plurality of ministry there. So I've been through, um, yeah, Catholic, uh, American Baptist, uh, Pentecostal, charismatic, uh, apostolic, prophetic, um, you know, the church of what's happening now, uh, you kind of name it, you know, so... Things have, of course, evolved. I don't uh, belong to any particular denomination um, right now. I love them all, but I don't claim, uh, you know, um, to be flying their banner. But they're my brothers and sisters. So that's kind of long story short, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> huh? All right. Well, that's good to hear a little bit of your background. Um, let's go mm -hmm. ahead and get the first question. So, here it is. Uh -huh. Is there a literal rapture? <laughs> is there a literal rapture? Okay, let's let me just begin to tackle this one a little bit. Let me first say that I do believe in uh, the literal, physical appearing of Jesus, who I believe is already here, but in the invisible realm. Um, aside from his body, the church, but I believe one day we will see the head. I believe this mortal shall take on immortality, but I do not believe in uh, the rapture per se, as premillennial dispensationalists believe it, uh, you know, Darbyism and uh, the way Schofield taught it and such, and other people teach it today. I don't, uh, I don't adhere to that. But when I look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, um, in what I understand now, because I used to believe in this any minute uh, imminent uh, rapture, any second imminent rapture, but the thing has, um, I've gained new understanding through study and uh, through understanding original audience relevance and the culture and the language and what the word parousia, that we, that the word coming, uh, which is parousia in the Greek, uh, meant to any first century Roman or Jew. Um, so I'm going to go to that uh, that kind of pet passage here, if you don't mind. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And uh, Paul says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those who are, are dead, and uh, yeah, and in the graves, 
that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, those who are dead, uh, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which sleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall rise with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, when I understand what that meant to the original audience, what parousia, what coming meant, um, it really brought new light to my whole understanding of this. And it's a beautiful thing because what would happen is when there'd be a newly conquered territory, city, province, whatever it be, um, they would send apostles from Rome. Now, this word was not a Christian word at the time. It was a quote, uh, if you want, for lack of a better term, a secular Roman term. They would send apostles to this newly acquired, newly conquered territory to bring the culture of Rome to that new territory, just as apostolic ministry today and since the inception of the church brings the culture of heaven to earth and to our spheres of influence. And I like that. But with the parousia, what would happen is Caesar was considered the Lord and King, okay? And what he would do, he would come in person to pay a state visit to a colony or province. Um, and it was the word uh, for his royal presence was parousia. And what would happen with this is they were actually showing off what had happened, this apostolic work in this uh, newly uh, acquired territory or a territory that had you know, been developed after it had been acquired. So they knew that Caesar was coming. So what the inhabitants would do is get the city ready. I mean, it would be swept, clean, beautified. They would have just ornate uh, wreaths and flowers and make it just as beautiful as possible. Then the inhabitants of the city, the province, whatever it be, would come out to meet Caesar on his way to inspect and to, and to, to come into this city. And this is, this is the beauty of it. They would come out to meet him and then there would be a triumphal entry with trumpets and fanfare. There you go, your trumpets and fanfare. And then they would all come back to the city. And what happened was Caesar was ushered in through really what was an, an apostolic work uh, of that day. And that this is the way that any first century Roman or Jew would understand this word parousia, if it was used. So I really, I love that. And, uh, and again, there's words like gospel, euangelion is, uh, that word is that we use to get, uh, evangelistic or evangelize or evangelical. Okay. That, that word's been so, uh, perverted, but what it was in that day, it was a, a Roman word again, and it was used for the Roman empire and it was used, uh, specifically and, and, and exclusively to talk about Caesars. It was a newsflash. And um, it usually, I mean, the, the big three newsflashes were uh, the birth of a Caesar, okay? And we had a birth of the king in Bethlehem, a victory of, of Caesar over his enemies. And of course, Jesus did that at the cross and of a regime change. So with all this language, with parousia and euangelion, when they're talking about gospel and they're talking about coming, 
All these were all these things are revolutionary in nature, and they're saying Jesus is king and Caesar is not. Okay, and even when we look back at that verse and you see they meet the Lord in the air. Well, that word for air doesn't necessarily mean out in the ether. If you look at it in the Greek, it means the atmosphere. And if you're coming up out of the ground or out of a tomb, you're going to be in the atmosphere. And then you have these clouds. Then the Bible speaks of witnesses that, uh, that surround us even now. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 talks about those who have gone on before. And there's the clouds of witnesses that are even around us now in, uh, in Mount Zion in the spiritual New Jerusalem, uh, where we dwell now, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this isn't something where uh, we don't have a glorious church or a or a beautiful church or a church that is manifesting Christ um, when Jesus returns. It's just the contrary, and uh, and you have this wonderful uh, parousia happening, and uh, and that's how I see it. So it's not about uh, escapism. Uh, it's it's really about uh, about victory. And I don't believe in a uh, a two episode return, one for the church, um, you know, with the with the establishment of a Frank in Israel, followed by one, uh, you know, one for the church and then one with the church, uh, like many teach. And I used to teach. OK, I believe in one event that looks like what first century Jews and Romans were accustomed to seeing and what they associated with the word uh, parousia. And so that's that's kind of what I've got on that in a nutshell. Are you there? Yeah, things become more exciting when you kind of find out the actual back. Can you hear me? Yeah, it's a little crackling, but yeah, I can hear you. Hear me you. okay? Uh-huh. Sorry about that. Um, That's okay. Anyway, uh, so yeah, it's exciting to find out the background of what people would have thought back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for the second question, uh, do you believe a literal new heaven and earth? A literal new heaven and earth. Now, uh, yes, I do, but it, uh, it, uh, it depends what, how you define heaven and earth. <laughs> okay, so uh, let me just touch on that. I am having like, like some crackling in your mic, but I've got the question up there, so we'll, we'll be okay here, and we'll work uh, around that, okay? Um, when I see... Is scripture talking about a little new heaven and, and okay. new earth? What, what I see here is I have to, again, go to the first century Jewish understanding. And what they believed when they heard the term heaven and earth, they thought of the temple and uh, the, the most holy place, the holy place, and the outer court being uh, heaven, earth, and the sea where the laver was, uh, respect respectively. So I, I think that's really important and key to understand. And uh, Jesus said that uh, heaven and earth would pass away, but his words that he was speaking in the Olivet Discourse there would not pass away. And he said that all those things in Matthew 24, 34 would be fulfilled in that generation. So when I look at heaven and earth, here's the thing. Matthew 5.18, I think this is the uh, the linchpin of people that think that it's something futuristic. And we know in AD 70 that the temple and Jerusalem, as they knew it, along with the, with the systems, with the Levitical priesthood, with the sacrifices, with all of that, 
were, were burned. They were just burned and torn down to the ground and destroyed, just as Jesus said would happen in that generation. So I, I believe in the, the, the total fulfillment uh, of Matthew 24. And when I look at uh, Matthew 5.18, he says, Verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So if heaven and earth haven't already passed away, then we need to be stoning adulterous women. We need to be uh, you know, applying eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and a whole lot of other things, including animal sacrifices. And we know in the Bible, we know from, from Hebrews that that would be an utter abomination uh, for us to be doing that in this day. So that's why I believe that the, you know, that what they considered heaven and earth was destroyed. And then the new heaven and earth is the establishment of a new temple. Know you not that you are the temple of God, the spirit of God dwells in you, the new Jerusalem. And you can find all about that in Galatians 4, 22 through 26, who is the mother of us all. And he likens that to, uh, to Sarah spiritually versus natural Jerusalem being likened to Hagar. And you have this new tabernacle slash temple and a new priesthood. You'll find that in, in uh, 1 Peter 2.9. And then later on, Revelation 11.8 uh, refers to natural Jerusalem as Sodom and Egypt. So there's some pretty, pretty heavy language there. And uh, so I, th I think it's very, very important to see that. And when you see in first in Second Peter three ten through thirteen, he talks about the heaven and earth passing away, the earth, uh, the elements being burned up with a fervent heat. Uh, the elements talk about the elementary, rudimentary, beggarly elements uh, of the law that uh, that people in in Galatia were going to be back in bondage to again, and and they were they were actually going that way with the Judaizers. And he was uh, persuading them uh, otherwise. So all of those things, those those elements, all elements, the uh, heaven, earth, sea, and all these elements were destroyed in a fervent heat. If we understand the original audience relevance, uh, the culture, and the language of that day, so I think that's uh, that's extremely important to uh, to note those things, to understand them, and it, it just gives us a much better. Uh, idea of what uh, what Jesus was saying, what they understood that to be. And it gives us so much hope for the future because we're not looking for things that have already been fulfilled when you're talking about wars and rumors of wars and uh, you know uh, the stars falling from the sky, the moon turning to blood. That stuff was used in the in, in the Old Testament for different kingdoms and, and, and nations that had fallen and those things did not happen. What it was, they're just speaking uh, metaphorically and that was their uh, version of it's lights out for uh, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, uh, whoever they were referring to. And that's what they would have, uh, have understood. So heaven and earth passed away. And then there's the new heavens and new earth, which, of course, was inaugurated through Jesus, but has not been fully consummated because that, that is still being lived and, walk, and being walked out, um, this work in the earth. And then, you know, I believe the, uh, the parousia, the actual coming, will be when things are, when there's much, much more uh, transformation and much more of heaven, the culture of heaven being evident on earth. But, um, and let's say, I think people's theology is, is changing in that direction. They care more about the earth. They care more about people. Uh, they're anti-war, they're more pro-environment without being wacky about it. And I think those are very good things. 
And, uh, you know, somebody would say that's progressive. Well, it's also, it's ancient though. I mean, this is, this is not new. This is, this is ancient. You know, when you go back to Jesus and the apostles and uh, even the church fathers and the understanding, uh, you know, of what these particular things meant prior to the Plymouth Brethren, uh, Darby, Schofield, and all of that being popularized in the West. Matter of fact, a lot of the things we're talking about today are so foreign to uh, Eastern Orthodox theology, they just really don't know, they can't relate to it. They don't even know what we're talking about, but, but I say, thank the Lord, we can make sense of these things and understand, you know, hey, these were written to different people in a different time. Yes, there's some practical applications, some things that we can learn, yes, but I don't have to flee to any mountains. I don't have to, I, there's a lot of things I don't need to do. I don't need to just sell my houses and lands and everything else and live communally because the Lord's not going to, you know, uh, Rome isn't coming to destroy my city and I'm not headed to, uh, <laughs> to any mountains, okay? To Pella, it's, it's not happening in this generation. And so I don't have to look at CBS and NBC and then and Fox, CNN, MSNBC and all of that and try and say, well, how is this these last days? When uh, my understanding of it is these last days, end times, were the last days of old covenant Israel, of Jerusalem, the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices, and all of the elements, everything that they knew. And then there's this new day, a new age, if you will, the real new age, okay, with, with a new heaven and a new earth and something that God is doing that is real special and precious, okay? So, yeah, that's that's that. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to uh, get up on the rooftop. Yeah. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when it comes to a new heaven and new earth, like, I see the obvious fulfillment. And yeah. But, you know, in the new and how beautiful it is, the kingdom is advancing and the earth till its final consummation so in that way i look at it as progressing into the future but not just the future event like people are like oh one day it's just going to turn into the uh new heaven yeah. earth as though jesus didn't already bring something <laughs> yes i um, believe his kingdom has right, come so is question. coming and will come i think that's what you're saying there yeah yeah go ahead um, so is salvation a transaction or a person? Is salvation a transaction or a person? I like that question. I almost I almost want to ask what would cause you to ask that. <laughs> let me let me because I know there's certain there's I say there's certain things and uh, just things that people are pondering uh, theologically and, and tossing around. What, what I would say, uh, the crux of it, uh, salvation is a person. His name is Jesus and people participating in the finished work of that person, people who are in that person and participating in his life. Um, I would say that that, yeah, and then we're going to get on to that, the, the next question, but uh, I believe we've already uh, encountered the divine embrace. God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself. So I believe every human being is, uh, is on ship now, and it's an, an all-inclusive, you know, cruise, so to speak, or you could say it was an all-inclusive resort, but, you know, we can be in the broom closet and not, uh, not participating in this all-inclusive 
uh, wonderful journey as God intends, but at the same time, he has, uh, let's say, his finished work is for all. So I would say it's, it's, it's more when we're declaring salvation, we're talking about something that's already been done, you're already included, you're already in, but, uh, but the key is uh, participating, you know, uh, it's, it's wonderful and you, you need to participate because God loves you and, uh, and he, he has, you know, his best in mind for you. So the spirit led life in the, in this journey uh, is, is where it's at really. Yeah. So that's, that's what I would, that's what I would say to that. And I know we had uh, the next question that will kind of, yeah, get a little deeper into that. Yeah. Just to give a little background, why I asked the question and why some others are interested is because, you know, speaking of the West, often when people hear saved, they think penal substitution, like, you know, we are saved from Father God through Jesus, who is yeah. also God, the Son. And it's just this weird way of putting things that make it sound like we're to be like reverence that we were saved from from God. But, you know, as you and I yeah. know, Jesus revealed a good father that has our best interest in mind. So, like, I know the word uh, saved ultimately can be used as sozo, like the receiving mm -hmm. the benefits of salvation, right? Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times when we're talking about what people need to do to come to the Lord, I don't like to start out with hey, you need to get right with God and all this. No, he reconciled yeah. the cosmos. He reconciled yeah. the world. And to be reconciled is to just believe what he's already done. That way you're not, it's not like you're earning anything. You're just receiving it. And so if, you know, if somebody says saved, that's cool. I just like to more uh, be able to proclaim that what he's already done. And I think that reaches people better actually. But yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit has a way of still moving through saying you need to get saved. Yeah, I I um, see. Um, you know, right, like so, yeah, question. Um, if, if I, I I wanted to get, let me do. Yeah, but I I see Second Corinthians five as when I look at reconciliation, I think of an accounting term. You know, where it's already reconciled. You're already in uh, the black. You're not in the red. You're so deep in the black, you don't even understand it. Okay, uh, you're you're completely out of debt, and uh, and you know, and he, he loves you so much. And then when he says be reconciled, I believe that's in our mind, in the in the renewing of our minds. So there's this finished work, and then there's this thing that we participate in through relationships. I believe I believe that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, like I I believe it's you know like a finished work, but it's like. Um by the faith that God gives us, we access, mm -hmm. you know, the reality and the, what ultimately it's born from above. But, you know, many of us might call that born again to just mean how really it's a metaphor, but at least I think so, to experience a spiritual reality of like awakening. Yeah. Uh, and and you're, you're right. It's, so, yeah, it's his faith. It's, uh, we can't manufacture faith. Faith works by love and God is love. And so, so it's him. It's him. It's participating in the free gift. Yeah, you're you're right on. Yeah, sorry. There's a little bit of a delay I'm noticing, but uh, is saved the best word for reconciliation in your opinion? Okay. Well, you hit on that a little bit. Now, sozo, that Greek word for, for saved, is very much like shalom, uh, means wholeness, uh, 
delivered, to be delivered, to be made whole. Um, 2 Timothy 1.9 says we're saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says we're being saved. Romans 5.9-10 says we shall be saved. So what I see here is us being delivered from everything that contradicts our identity as father's children slash image bearers. And that's uh, that's kind of the best definition I've been able to, to come up with with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Ultimately, if we want to say we're saved from something, I would say all the lies of shame, everything that separated us in our heart and mind, because that's what alienate. Sin is just alienation in our hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. God has always been near. And isn't that such a beautiful thing to know? Yeah, well, even the word Hades means to not see. And, it's, and Jesus said the gates of Hades would not prevail against the church. So it's, it's the wisdom, the, the elders sat in the gates. So the wisdom that tries to hide us from his beauty and who we really are in him from our true identity uh, won't prevail. So I'm, I'm really tickled about that. And that gives me great hope and yeah, for, for our future. Yeah, that really makes me excited because I didn't know that Hades meant that. I guess I need yeah. to brush up on my study. <laughs> to not see, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Um, so, so did Jesus talk about hell more than anything else? Well, I think that's, um, that's a question probably a, a lot of people would ask in this day and age. And um, what I would say is I see him talking about the kingdom, uh, establishing the culture of heaven on earth, uh, loving our neighbor, living from, uh, <laughs> from heaven, uh, the incarnational life and demonstration and word, and his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So I, I see that. You know, I, I don't see Jesus talking so much about the afterlife as he's talking about the here and now, and manifesting his love in the present, you know? Uh, so, so that's that's what I see. And if you do a word search on the, the word that's translated uh, hell in our English Bibles, uh, you're going to find kingdom a whole lot more, and you're going to find the, uh, the general theme of God's kingdom being manifest on the earth uh, through the teachings of Jesus and the apostles uh, way more, if you go ahead and count the numbers, than, uh, than he ever makes mention of any um, place called hell in the English Bible, okay? Um, so when I look at the word hell, Jesus used a couple words there. There's two other words that I'll, that I'll talk just briefly about, but uh, he used Gehenna and Hades. And uh, Gehenna is uh, the Valley of Hinnom. It's an actual valley. Um, the pagans sacrificed to Moloch. They sacrificed babies, children, to Moloch there in ancient times. And in AD 70, it's where the Romans threw uh, so many Jews. And yes, there was actual wailing and gnashing of teeth, and there was fire. But you can now visit this place called hell, and I'm told it's quite beautiful, and I've seen pictures of it. So I think, again, context is, is everything. And I just challenge people, regardless of your view, just look at the words and see what you come up with you know, from them. And uh, I see different people have drawn different conclusions on it. But I think it, uh, it's a subject that deserves attention. And Hades means, again, unseen or to not see. And it's the grave. It was the place of departed souls. And uh, we're told in 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20, that Jesus preached to the spirits 
who had gone on before, who had died, who were rebellious, not just ignorant, but rebellious in the days of Noah. And Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 says Jesus led uh, captivity captive. And um, so I see, you know, definitely where there is this hope of uh, people seeing Jesus and hearing him and, uh, and receiving his love posthumously. So, and I get into that in other, on lovereimagine.org, I get into that in other teachings. Not really going to get into it uh, too deep today, but uh, yeah, I, I'd suggest looking at those things and understanding that Jesus was more concerned with the kingdom being established on earth, with the apostolic work of the, of, um, yeah, bringing the culture of heaven to earth. Two other words that are used in the Bible, Sheol, that's a place of darkness where the dead go, and uh, Tartarus was the infernal regions of ancient Greek mythology, and the deepest region of the uh, the world, the lowest of two parts of the underworld, and where the gods locked up their enemies. It gradually came to mean the entire underworld, and some believe, if you look in concordance and all, the deepest dungeon of uh, of Hades. Yeah, so. Again, I, I can't see how you automatically get uh, eternal conscious torment out of any of those words unless you read your own presuppositions uh, into the, the text. I do believe that every man's work will be tried by fire uh, with something beautiful remaining, and I get that from 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. And of course, I'm not giving a complete uh, you know, theological treatise on, uh, on the term hell, but there's just some things you need to look at as well as like when I look at the word forever, forever uh, to the Jews didn't always mean forever, okay, literally. And just one example, and you find quite a few in your Bible, but Exodus 21, 6 says, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, if we believe that, you know, he's going to serve him, you know, for all of eternity, that this servant, this slave is going to serve, you know, <laughs> serve this guy, I think that's incredibly uh, far-fetched. So again, to know metaphors, to know uh, ancient idioms, and just the way that, uh, that people spoke uh, in, in an exaggerated sense uh, many times to, to the way that we understand things. Like, uh, you know, my wife takes forever in the uh, in the shower or in the store or whatever. And that's not not my wife necessarily. It's just a uh, just an example. OK, and um, you look at the New Jerusalem whose gates are never shut. Uh, that kind of gives you I say you, you really got to got to think about these uh, about these things. I'd highly recommend on that topic. Um, Brad Jerzak's book, Her Gates Shall Never Be Shut. Uh, David, David Bentley Hart's book, uh, That All Shall Be Saved, are are really good. Look at them with an open mind. And uh, I think uh, I've, I've studied a lot uh, in, in those areas, had my own questions. Uh, one of the burning questions when I was, you know, a, a, a very young Christian uh, was, well, what happens if someone has never heard, you know, uh, the name of Jesus? What about the 16-year-old girl in North Korea who's always been told that Kim Jong-un uh, you know, is uh, is God? Uh, does she, if she dies, you know, in front of a firing squad, um, like right now as we speak, um, does a God who is love, does a loving Father, uh, send her to eternal conscious torment? I just can't reconcile that uh, with with <laughs> with the Trinity. <laughs> I cannot reconcile that with the God I know that is who is perfectly represented through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is my short answer on that yeah 
so before I uh, move to the next question that mm -hmm. I was originally going to ask you, let me just throw in a little curveball uh, on the topic of hell. So, you know, obviously a lot of people end up ditching eternal conscious torment as in literally burning in hellfire, you know, and uh, putting weeping and gnashing of teeth into the future instead of its original context. And so, and then some people you know may have reservations about ultimate reconciliation. Um, what would you say to people who are kind of, you know, not really sure? what they believe or maybe you're leaning in on like annihilationism or conditional immortality i'd say you know i'd say if you're not sure um it's you know you might want to consider that it's the you know the lord working on your heart in in one way or another and to weigh the evidence you know um study it with a um just a fresh heart and mind get your presuppositions out of it and uh just go into the text you know afresh um, and leave your prejudices aside and, and uh, see where it takes you, you know? Um, and it, it, I think it'll be uh, very interesting when you think about the nature of Jesus. And when you think of yourself, those of us who are parents, um, you know, how we treat our children and what we, we would do with our children, uh, you know, regardless of what they've done, um, you know, what sort of, of punishment would we be willing to, uh, you know, for let's say for temporal acts, would we be willing to, uh, you know, to fry our own children for eternity? Um, I'm, I'm I just don't believe either one of my sons, they could do anything. And I don't believe that I'm better than God. Okay. Um, they, I don't think there's anything that they could, there is nothing that they could do that would uh, cause me to want them to uh, suffer eternal conscious torment. I, I can tell you that. And, and when I, let's say, when I look at the definitions of hell, I look at who Jesus is. I look at Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, and I look at so many other scriptures where uh, where death and in, in uh, Romans eight can't separate us from the love of God, you know. And plus some of the ones I've you know talked about already. Um, let's say I hold out hope, but it's not for just uh, you know anything leads to God. I, I believe that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall gladly confess. And, and the Greek word, it means gladly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I believe it's ultimate reconciliation through Christ. But uh, again, for me to, you know, uh, things get so dogmatic. We're so used to being in believe to belong clubs that if I say, well, you need to believe this and I'm right and you're wrong, that's just, you know, that's just heaping stuff on you. You've got to be convinced of it. You've got to weigh the evidence. You've got to look at it objectively and then come to certain conclusions. I just don't think that one day I'm going to see Jesus face to face and he's going to say, well, uh, you know, you're going to eternal conscious torment because you thought that I was, uh, a, you know, <laughs> you thought that my goodness was, uh, you know, exceeded what it really, uh, what it really is. So I, I don't think that's going to happen personally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's a lot to think through, but I, I think what really yeah. gives or what is beneficial to people is to actually take the time to look at the different views of what the words translated, you know, as hell are, because that really helped me. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, Brad's book. I looked at the majority of that. Sometimes I have a little bad habit of not completely finished. I get on the same subject and hop to another book, but, mm -hmm. and I just do it, you know, there's tons of research other places but um yeah yeah that really just helps me 
I, I think even with his book, my takeaway, and I hear you saying this, is it's ultimately like how are we applying the kingdom to the here and now? Because uh, I just, you know, I have a hard time understanding how we're, how not we're, but some people can be so bent on literal hellfire and all this forever for people. Um, and it's almost like they make that the gospel and push yeah. the kingdom out into the future. And it's like, yeah. what? so Jesus just came the first time to forgive us so his father would accept us. It, it just doesn't really, it all, penal substitution and all these views just kind of go together. And honestly, it comes from a lawyer yeah. mindset. You know, John Calvin, I'm yeah. not saying he didn't have anything good to offer church, right? But some of this, people don't even, like, people think, oh, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm an Arminian. They don't realize how Calvinistic they actually are, is what yeah. I've seen. Yeah. I don't believe that, you know, that God and Hitler were playing a, playing cards, and Hitler showed his hand, and it was the Holocaust, and God said, well, I'm going to trump that, you know, and we're just damning every Jew who's not, uh, you know, said a, a special prayer to eternal conscious torment, you know? Um, that, that's really something to, to think about, you know? Um, so I, I say, I don't, uh, I don't see that. And had, had I grown up with Hitler's influence and everything that, you know, the way he was treated and everything, who knows, I could have been, uh, I could have been Hitler, you know? Uh, so I, I, I say, I have to look at it as a father who loves his children and, uh, and cares and cares about us, you know, uh, very deeply, uh, if not, it's really a self-righteous thing about who's in and who's out. Um, yeah, because then you get to people, oh, they, you know, with a certain thought or, you know, I mean, what what sends you there? What doesn't send you there? I mean, I say if if it's not pure grace and pure Jesus and the finished work, if it's something that you're adding on to it, uh, you know, that gets you some ticket out of, a, a, you know, a, <laughs> a eternal conscious torment. I've got a problem with that. And then some people, um, not to belabor this, but some people, well, what's what's the use of Jesus? What's the use in believing if there's not a hell? I'm like, oh, my wife and children and all my friends, my brothers and sisters can't send me to eternal conscious torment, but I love them and they love me and we have a relationship and I wouldn't trade anything for that, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's like, it's like, you know, Jesus is worthless if there wasn't a hell, you know, an eternal conscious torment, um, you know, like people believe. And I, I think that's, I know that's utter rubbish okay really i would want to if i did not believe if i just believed that hey regardless of what you believe it's annihilation i believe in the teachings of jesus and if i could only like i say live with him and enjoy him and have a personal relationship with him till i breathe my last breath regardless of the outcome that's what i would want that's what i would uh yeah that's what i would choose by, from him yeah <laughs> what his spirit would you know has worked in me so that's uh, that's my answer to that yeah Yeah, that's really good. Um, all right. So next question, is heaven an actual place, a destination? Is heaven a place? Okay. Heaven to me is the, is the realm of the spirit. It's the invisible realm. Okay. Um, it's the invisible realm from which our invisible creator communes with his creation. Uh, God didn't create heaven because he was homeless. He wanted an invisible realm to be married to the terrestrial, visible realm 
where this invisible huge God who encompasses <laughs> all things could, uh, could fellowship with his creation. That's how I see it. Um, so I, I think that's, that's important. So how, heaven is the realm of the spirit. I don't believe it's somewhere out in the ether. Um, Ephesians 2.6 says that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ because of Christ. That's a paraphrase, but you look at it and that's what it says, meaning we have authority in the realm of the spirit. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, this heavenly host, okay? Uh, read, um, yeah, Hebrews 12 talks about you've come to Mount Zion to an innumerable company of angels, to those who have gone on before. I mean, it's, it's powerful what we're surrounded by right now, although it's, it's, I say it's invisible, but one day it will be visible. Now, I believe it, it, uh, it not just the terrestrial realm, but uh, I don't believe the universe can contain our God. So yeah, there's. Um, am I saying there's not other dimensions of it? Sure, but the dimension I'm concerned about is is God dwelling with us. <laughs> you know, uh, in in this realm uh, where where heaven ha has always embraced earth, and uh, and earth has always had the invitation. Mankind creating in His image has always had the in invitation to participate. Uh, Philippians 3, 20 and 21 tells us our citizenship is in heaven, and we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think something N.T. Wright says really sticks out to me. Most people are so concerned about life after death when the that's not the ultimate uh, outcome. It's life after life after death. It's, this, it's us being clothed upon with immortality. It's about these glorified bodies that are just like Jesus's and, uh, and, and, you know, and all of this, this fresh uh, newness, of, newness of life, but in another dimension, the full consummation of that. So yeah, to me, heaven is, heaven is, is the realm of the spirit. Yeah. And people, people are there, obviously, and that's exciting, but uh, I'm not going to die and go to heaven. I'm already in heaven, but I'll have a greater, uh, I believe I'll have a greater revelation of uh, uh, of what's happening in that realm, you know, uh, posthumously. And that's, and that's wonderful, but um, yeah, but I'm still, I say I'm still there, but, uh, but one day I'll be there in a, an invisible form uh, unless, let's say, unless things really, yeah, really escalate and, uh, yeah, <laughs> on earth between, uh, between now and, uh, the time this 55, uh, year old bard body is, uh, yeah, is, is finished with this earth suit. So, yeah. Yeah. Scripture seems to indicate, you know, putting off this body and receiving a new glorious one. And it's like, when people say, are you going to heaven? I'm like, well, well, I might change the seat over there when I'm putting off my body and being transformed. Yeah. Uh, but like you're saying, you know, I believe that heaven is an essence of the presence of God in all things. How think about this, and I know you know this, like how could God be a present help? How could God be near unless heaven's here? How could we be seated in heavenly places now? I think I talked to my other guest, Colin, about this a little bit. Like, I think, you know, we see imagery of thrones and we call God Lord and all of this. And I, you know, I have respect and honor for all that. But I, I think a lot of it is ways to express spiritual realities to who the audience was at that time, because they had like Lord 
thrones and masters and kingdoms and all this kind of stuff. And so ultimately, when I hear like seated in heavenly places, I'm thinking about humanity being seated in the heart of God, because I think he rules and he reigns, which in, you know, modern terms would be uh, leads or has authority from his heart. And that's how he leads us. Well, yeah, there's so much mystery. I mean, we're in Christ. He's in us. That'll blow your mind. And it goes right down to, you know, some basic uh, first grade Sunday school stuff. You know, Jesus lives in my heart. I mean, think about that. That, that'll blow your theological yeah. mind, you know? And uh, so often that's said in circles where people don't, I mean, don't really believe that. And, and uh, I think we're, we're all wrapping our heads around that Jesus lives in me and, and I'm in Christ, you know, um, seated in heavenly places. This is, this is not a fairy tale. This is something that we can, uh, can flesh out. We can, uh, yeah, just let love live through us and, and, change the environment around us. Yes, bringing the culture of heaven to wherever it is that uh, that we are. And uh, yeah, and there's, you know, and that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that there's no such thing as sin or there's no uh, boundaries, but the boundaries are there to protect us, not to restrict us. And yes, a loving father has an order for things, but it's out of love. He knows what's best for us. So he's given us his spirit He's given us Jesus, yeah, you know, uh, the perfect logic of God, our Logos, the one who came and, uh, and tabernacled among us and has never quit being human, um, the man Christ Jesus, and we're bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, spirit of his spirit. He was joined to the Lord as one spirit. I mean, that's, it's just, it is so exciting. And again, it's beyond, it, this is so far beyond uh, a theological head trip, you know, uh, this really is about personal relationship, but too often we've been, there's a bait and switch a lot of times, you know, um, invite people into personal personal relationship with unconditional love. And then all of a sudden you're introduced to a very impersonal God uh, with a lot of conditions, um, <laughs> you know, uh, and there always has to be this appeasement and uh, and different theology leads to I see violence and craziness and 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 just a lot of things that I don't see in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're discovering him. I think, you know, we very well spend eternity. I believe he is that vast and wonderful, just, uh, you know, exploring new dimensions of, uh, of Father's love. You know, I believe that uh, it's just going to, that's ecstatic. And that's something that we can, you know, we've entered into now, but I believe that's, 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 that's an eternal thing. And that's, uh, that's so cool. Yeah, that you know the twenty-four elders continue to fall down and say holy. Now, I don't know how literal that is. Like, is that all they're doing? <laughs> Hopefully, they're maybe riding with Jesus or something surfing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but it's just uh, it's really good that you touched on that because if we are eternal now and we're going to be with Him forever, but yet He's with us now then I can imagine this ecstasy, this bliss that we experience in the spirit because of revelation that comes to us and experiencing literally the revelation, which is who he is. Like, how is that going to run out for eternity? I think sometimes yeah. there's this misunderstanding that we're just going to know everything when we see him face to face. I don't no. see that. I think it's more like when we see him face to face, we're going to recognize 
what was on the inside of us, which is the spirit of God, recognizing the spirit of God. You know what I yeah. mean? But there's we're, we'll be ever learning and growing in knowledge, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, and uh, that's my persuasion as well. Yeah, sure. So good. So good. Yeah. We've only gone 51 minutes and six seconds right now. That was, that was a lot. That's a lot packed in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually surprised how fast it went. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed those questions. And um, I definitely know I want to do an interview with you about deconstruction. And, you know, mm. is it more of us uh, more so letting go of sacred cows and just starting out with what's called deconstruction. And obviously people mean so many things with that word, but uh, mm -hmm. I'd like to gather some questions from my viewers and maybe you could from yours and we could put together a great conversation on that. Sure. Well, yeah. And uh, again, most of us, and we've talked about this a little bit, but you know, it's according to our individual experience with things. Um, I personally believe that light dispels darkness. So um, you know, the fresh revelation of Jesus, a new take that he shows you on something that's not really new, it's ancient. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, and and established from before the foundation of the world. But there's things that he, you know, he he shows us, he, you know, that he reveals to us, and we're in a place uh of humility where we can can receive those things, and then it drives out the old. I'm not uh, again, we talked about this the other day, but I'm not one who, you know, well, I'm deconstructing. You know, forget about this whole Jesus thing. No, I, 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 I know him. You know, there's certain things I don't know, but I know him, and I'm sure in my spirit that he is who he says he is, and no one's going to convince me otherwise. And I love him, so that's you know, uh, deconstructing Jesus is off the table. Now, my understanding of Jesus and his teachings and of and of other things that's that's another story, you know. So I don't have to just go, uh, you know, full stop uh, atheist. And you know, to uh, deconstruct, just burn the whole thing down, you know, including Jesus, which you can't burn him down. But and then you know, and then start from scratch, you know, because I, I, I say that's just not that's not the path that I took, and not the path that I would prescribe for everyone else to. And I don't consider myself to be a deconstruction expert because, again, different people's experiences are different. Not everyone is going to be in the middle of the Persian Gulf and have a supernatural encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how they get to know him. So if I, you know, I say that's that's just dogma and stupidity. If I project my own personal experience onto every other individual, uh, I'm not the pattern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I think some deconstruction can happen if you mean like, you know, taking away from some false teachings. Um, mm -hmm. But what I've realized, like the way I discovered fulfilled eschatology or, you know, a better revelation of grace was literally through my friendship with the Holy Spirit and looking at the scriptures and then him sending people my way. And I mean, mm -hmm. you're kidding yourself if you think this isn't a very spirit led thing. I mean, our whole source of life is to follow after the spirit. And so if we yeah. end up deconstructing some things because of that, or I guess, you know, the best word would be letting go uh, as we gain yeah. hold of truth, um, then that's the way to go. But yeah, I uh, look forward to discussing that more. Sure, sure, sure. Sounds uh, sounds like uh, like like fun. And uh, yeah, and I want to... Uh, 
interview you as well. And we can talk about some things and uh, yeah. And chat about that, put some things together. You know, this has been, uh, this has been very good. Yeah. And so, yeah, very thankful for yeah, getting to know you and uh, yeah, to Colin and the, and the group and on Facebook has been very, uh, very good. Very good. So thanks so much, John. I, I do appreciate it, brother. Yeah. Thank you. And I appreciate you for uh, being here and, uh, I'm sure our audience loved the insight and, you know, they can take a look at your website. Uh, what's your website's name again? It's uh love reimagined.org. I'll put that up. Yeah. And the uh, link to the podcast and YouTube and, uh, and all that, uh, are on there. So, yeah. All right. Well, till next time, this has been strong foundation thinking. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Well, bless you, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, see ya. Thanks so much for being with us today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share with your family, friends, and those who have yet to discover their awesomeness and yours. You can also check us out at lovereimagine.org. Again, no cows were harmed during the recording of this episode. <laughs>